Welcome to today's edition of Awaken to Grace. We are continuing in our study called The Unhurried Life. And if busyness is reflected in any area of our life, it seems to be in our family life. So today we are focusing on what the Bible teaches about unhurried families. We're going to see out of Deuteronomy chapter 11 what a godly home is supposed to look like. I'm glad you're joining us today for part one of Unhurried Families. The rest of us are going to turn to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 11, Deuteronomy, fifth book of the Bible. And uh, so if you'll begin to turn there, uh, we are going to Pretty much stay parked in Deuteronomy today. I will take you at the end of 1 John, but only for just a moment. Uh, You know, specialty Sundays like today are very difficult for me because I am acutely aware of how many different people are in our audience. And so days like Mother's Day, Father's Day, Uh, even holidays like Christmas and Thanksgiving. They're very difficult in one sense because I realize that while for the majority today is uh, a glad day, a happy day, I realize that for many it's not. I realize that there are some listening today who you've come in with a preconceived idea that I'm speaking solely to fathers and that's only half true. Because at the end today, I do have a very specific word to our fathers. But if today, if you're not a father, perhaps uh, you, God has not given that opportunity for you to be a father, I, I still have some great things to say to you. Or perhaps you're here today and you're a mom or you're a single mom and You think, well, what am I going to get out of today? Well, I think there's still many things you can get out of today. I realize there's some listening who had tremendous fathers, great examples, and then there's some who had phantom fathers and absent fathers. There's some listening who were abused by your father, molested by your father. And you think to yourself, what in the world can I get out of a sermon like today? Well, I'm going to share some great truths from God's word with you today, and it's my hope and prayer that everyone, whether you are a father or not, will walk out of this building today with something special from the Lord. So I want to take you through Deuteronomy chapter 11. I'm not going to take you through the entire chapter. There are only a few selected verses that I have memorized. Uh, As most of you know, I'm blind in this season of my life. I don't know how long the season is going to last, but for right now, it's giving me great opportunity to memorize the Bible, (laughs) because I cannot see a book, I cannot see a computer or a phone or a tablet or anything like that, so when I preach, I have to commit everything to memory, including the text, so I pray that you will help me today. Now, the 9 a.m. service, had to they had to pitch in and they had to help me a little. Are you willing to do that if I stumble across my text? Well, that gives me half confidence, okay. So, well, Lord, I'm going to depend on you greater today. Let's give a hearty amen if we're in a good mood today, amen? Are we in a good mood? Oh, that makes me feel 
So much better. Praise God. More than 15 of us are in a great mood. All right. Deuteronomy chapter 11. Now, today we're going to highlight verses 10, 11, and 12, and verse 19 and 20. Those are going to be the scriptures we're going to highlight. But if you notice in verse 1, and really, to really get the grasp of what we're saying, you really need to go back and read Deuteronomy 10 because it's a continuation here. And what I want you to note very, just right off the bat, first thing, is that this is sort of a farewell. The whole book of Deuteronomy is Moses. It is his last great instructions before Moses passes away, and he's speaking to these people of Israel. Now, what I want you to know, there are a couple of things with our text. So if you read Deuteronomy chapter 10 and you read chapter 11, two things that I want you to note is number one, you and I share in these same promises. This is not only a promise to the people of Israel. It is a promise to the people of God. And hallelujah that we are engrafted into the people of God. We are adopted into the family of God. We are born again and as children of God. So the promises of Israel are as well the promises of us today. Even though we are Gentiles, the majority of us. We are born again into the family of God. Of God. So I want you to note, first of all, that as we read these things, they belong to us. They are ours. Number two, I want you to note that when Moses gathers the people of Israel and he gives these high and important instructions, he doesn't gather the high officials. He doesn't gather the military leaders or even the Levites who were just installed in chapter 10. He doesn't gather just the important and significant people. He doesn't just do that. If he did, perhaps we would read this and go, well, these promises belong to the authorities. These promises belong to people in power, people in position. But no. You know who he gathers? Families. Moms and dads like you and I. Grandparents. Great-grandparents. And notice what he says. Verse number one, he, he tells the people, you must obey, you must listen, you must obey the statutes and the rules and the commands of the Lord your God. And in verse two he says, now I'm not speaking to your children because your children have not seen the things with which you've seen. Your eyes have seen the great and the terrible things that God did to the people of Egypt. Your eyes saw what God did to the land of Egypt and the plagues. Your eyes saw what God did at the Red Sea. You saw the great hand of God. And he says, you saw the power, the might, the outstretched arm, the signs, wonders, and deeds of the Most High. You saw it. What he did to Pharaoh and Pharaoh's chariots and Pharaoh's horses and Pharaoh's army and what he did to the land, to the people of Egypt. You know, uh, some of you may not know, but I used to do a great deal of work in Egypt, and uh, I've been to Egypt eight different times, ministering and preaching. About my fifth or maybe sixth time to Egypt, I was speaking for a very important conference called the Harvest Conference in Cairo, Egypt. And the text that God gave me for this highly important gathering was a text like Deuteronomy 11. And it said horrible things about the Egyptian people. And it said awful things about Egypt. And I said, oh, no, Lord, I cannot read this. 
let alone preach it. I don't even want to read it. And the Lord dealt with me and said, this is what you were to preach tonight. And I said, no. I said, Lord, do you, I know you see all things, but do you know where I am? I'm in Cairo, the heart of Egypt. I cannot read this. And God dealt with me and dealt with me and dealt with me all morning, all afternoon. This is the text. Preach this text. And I said, God, I cannot. It was so intense, I finally had to go to the pastor, Pastor Adley. And I said, Pastor, help me. How do you preach the Old Testament? How do you preach texts like this that say such things about the Egyptians and your Egyptian? How do you do that? And a big smile came over his face and he said, Chad, he said, don't worry. I said, Pastor, I'm in Egypt. I can't. How do you do this? He said, Chad, we believe in divine election. We believe in the sovereignty of God. And he said, we understand that Israel was and is the people of God. And today, by God's sheer grace, we too are the people of God. And he touched my hand and said, you're fine. Preach what God gives you. What a moment. And I did. And God honored the preaching of his word. So he says, your eyes have seen what God did to the Egyptian people. And now... God's leading you into this land, and this is what I want to focus on. Now, I'm going to have a specific word at the end to say to fathers, and I'm going to, before that, have a word to say to families, those who right now are raising children, or perhaps you're raising grandchildren. And I have a specific word to say there, but here in the beginning, what I want to do is speak to the very spiritual application that this chapter has to our everyday life. So pick up with me in verse number 10 and notice what Moses says. He says, the land you are entering into to possess it is not like the land of Egypt from which you came, where you sowed your seed and irrigated it like a garden of vegetables. Ooh. But notice the next verse. But the land you are going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys which drinks the water by the rains of heaven. The Lord your God cares for this land and the eyes of the Lord your God are continually, are always upon it. Year From the beginning of the year to the end of the year. Amen. Thank the Lord. I didn't need your help. Amen. God helped me. <laughs> There's an incredible spiritual application here. If you're going to take notes, I want you to note this first of all. Whenever you read about Egypt in the Old Testament and even the New Testament, it is always symbolic to the world. It is always symbolic to your past life. It's always symbolic to the chains of sin, to the bondage with which you and I were enslaved to sin. Do you understand that? Pharaoh is always a type of Satan. Egypt is always a type of the world. 
And Canaan is a type of salvation, the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. That is a picture of the salvation that God brings into our life. So you and I must understand, some of you right now, you are so frustrated with some family members, perhaps your children, perhaps a spouse, perhaps a coworker, someone in your life that you love and yet they're dominated by sin and you get so angry at their actions. You get so angry that they can't see what you see and they act like sinners. Why? Because they are indeed sinners. And some of you stay frustrated and you get angry because they won't change. You get angry because you see sin dominating their life. Let me tell you why it does. Because in Romans chapter 6, it teaches that apart from Christ, before salvation, you and I are slaves to sin. Do you know why people sin? That are not born again, do you know why? Because they can't help it. They're enslaved to it. They have no choice. Right now, my little baby, John Mark, I tell you what, he's seven months old. He may be the sweetest baby we've ever seen in our entire lives. Our other babies were wonderful, but oh, there's a sweetness about this kid. Maybe it's a, he's the last one, I don't know. Maybe it's just in our heads. But I tell you, this kid is so sweet. As some of you know, Sadie and I were out of town last week and we were gone a week from him and he was trying to, all, all, the first three, they all said, Dada, that's the first words. Praise God, I beat Sadie. And John Markle, he was trying, and he just, Sadie would say, oh, he's saying mom. I'm like, I don't hear it. That's unintelligible. I don't understand, he's babbling. I don't understand, that's jibber jabber right there. We come home from our trip after not seeing him for the week, and she grabs him, and what's the first thing he says? Dad, 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 dad. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> There's a sweetness to this kid. But let me ask you a question. When does John Mark become a sinner? When he commits his first sin? Well, when is that? At what point is that? John Mark will not become a sinner when he commits his first sin. That's reverse thinking. John Mark will commit a sin because he was born a sinner. You understand? People that are apart from Christ sin because 1 Timothy teaches that they are ensnared by Satan. The Bible teaches that we are children of wrath, children of disobedience. That's why when the Bible says of our conversion, when the Bible teaches that Christ comes into a heart, when the Bible teaches that we are born again, that's why the Bible uses the tremendous language that we have become a new creation. Old things pass away. Egypt passes away. The world passes away and everything is brand new. Amen? What a conversion, what a change, what a difference. And if you've never had such a difference, then my friend, all you have is religion. Has there ever been a conversion, a changing, a transformation, a repentance that brought you from death unto life? That, my friend, is salvation. Amen. Amen. Egypt, it's that old life. 
It's that habitual sinning. It's the chains of bondage. It's that I cannot change because I am enslaved and I am bound. And that's Egypt and that's our past life. But Moses says, the land you're about to enter into to take possession of it, it's not like Egypt. It's not from which you've come. There you sowed your seed and you irrigated it and it was as though it was only a garden of vegetables. (laughs) Can you get that picture in your mind's eye? You have this little, tiny, small strip of land that is not even your land. You have this little small space that you sow and you water, but yet you're a slave to the land. God says, no, no longer. You're not going to have just a a space that you sow a garden of vegetables. No, this is a land flowing with milk and honey. That's what he says in the two verses ahead. Uh, What does that mean, a land of milk and honey? I used to think about that as a kid. You know, I'd hear it in the songs and I'd hear it in Sundays. You know, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. And I used to think, what in the world? What does that mean, flowing with milk and honey? Well, the honey speaks of the bees and it speaks of pollination and it speaks of vegetation. It speaks of great agriculture. And the milk, of course, speaks of cattle, livestock, meat. And Moses says, in this land, you're going to eat until you're full. What a blessing, amen? And this is a picture of salvation. This is a picture of leaving sin and leaving bondage and leaving slavery and coming into a land of freedom, a land that belongs to you. And listen how Moses describes this land. Oh, this is beautiful. Are you with me today? Because this is beautiful. I don't want you to miss this. He goes from this land of Egypt that doesn't belong to you, that you're enslaved to, to now the, you're, the, the land, verse 11, the land that you're about to possess is a land of hills and valleys. <laughs> now, now follow me. We're going from, from this little place that I just sow and I try to irrigate and it's just a garden of vegetable that now I'm going to a land of hills and valleys, a land that flows with milk and honey. A land that drinks the water by the rains of heaven. Can you get that picture in your mind's eye? A land of hills and valleys where milk and honey flows and it drinks the water from the rains of heaven. Oh, it sounds like heaven on earth, doesn't it? See, here's the thing. And this is what I want to show you today. So often our lives are just that. They are a series of hills and valleys. But see, here's what I want to show you. (laughs) I'm so excited. My spirit is just bursting at the seams today. I don't know if you can feel my excitement, but here's what I want to show you. It's like that great quote that Ruth Bell Graham, the beloved wife of Billy Graham, it's like she said, the mountaintops are only for breathtaking views. Mountaintops are meant for inspiration, but it is fruit that grows in the valleys. And it doesn't matter today whether you're on the hills or whether you're in the valley. What matters today is that you're in the promised land. What matters today is whatever season you're in, you're able to drink of the waters from heaven. You're able to be well nourished. And my friend, you're able to be well content. Because you're in the promised land. 
And the promised land is not all just Rose Garden. No, no, the promised land is a series of hills as well as valleys. But it doesn't matter because we're in the promised land. And there can be contentment for our soul there. Does that make sense to you? This past week was a wonderful week for me and Sadie. Some of you know, some of you don't. There was a ministry in North Carolina, a wonderful ministry called Energize. And all they do is minister to pastors. That's all they do. That's the reason they exist. And they gave Glenn and Ashley and myself and Sadie, they gave us a free cruise to the Caribbean. Wasn't that a blessing? Amen. And what made it even better is this year is Sadie, it's mine and Sadie's 10-year wedding anniversary. And just what a gift. But you know what I found? See, here, when I'm here, now on Sundays, I have a safety team person who escorts me. Michelle is my escort today. She's helping me get around. The reason why they escort me is be so I don't run into somebody, right? I don't want someone to have their back turned to me and I can't see them and I run into them, especially if they have coffee in their hands. So someone from the safety team helps me to the platform and they help me back to my office. And I so appreciate that. But apart from today, I mean, I don't need any help. I navigate everything fine. Sometimes I'm like a Roomba vacuum cleaner. I bump into something. I rescan the room and I go a different way, right? I mean, but usually I'm, you know, I don't need help. And I go all over the place. I know this building like the back of my hand. When I'm home, I need no help whatsoever. I know where everything is. No one has to help me. But oh my, we get on that cruise ship talking about feeling my limitations talking about feeling it Sadie constantly had to lead me by the hand we would try to go through the dining hall and it was this way no that way no oh stop no okay go no no this way boy I felt my limitations there were times I'd get frustrated very frustrated And I listened to a book while I was on the ship. If you've never read this book, I would encourage you to get on Amazon and buy it before the service ends. It's a book called God's Smuggler by Brother Andrew. It's a classic, written in the 1960s. And I listened to God's Smuggler. The man reading it was British, so he would say, Smuggler. I keep wanting to say that, but it's smuggler. And I listened with great intensity. And it so fed my soul. But you know, Brother Andrew tells the story that convicted me to my core. Now, what am I talking about? Life, even in the promised land, is a series of hills and valleys. So Brother Andrew is in Bulgaria in the 60s and... Communism has taken over Bulgaria and he's in a secret house church and there's a man, a mountain of a man, a huge man named Abraham. And Abraham doesn't say very much at all. He has a massive beard and Brother Andrew said he looked like what he pictured Abraham actually looking like. And he had sky blue eyes. He said he had the most innocent eyes I've ever looked into. And he was an old man. He was about 75 years old with a very large beard and a massive frame. 
but he said so little. The pastor of that house church told Brother Andrew, he said, you need to visit Abraham's home to really see what sacrifice under communism is. Brother Andrew agreed and they went to Abraham's home and they began to hike up a mountain. Brother Andrew was young at this point. He's 92 today. Brother Andrew began to hike up this mountain with Abraham and he couldn't keep up with him. Multiple times he had to stop to catch his breath, but Abraham could keep on going. And when he reached, he kept thinking, how in the world could someone build a home up here? And when they reached the home of Brother Abraham, he finds out along the way, Abraham used to be a wealthy man. He operated a very large farm, a very productive farm, enjoyed a large, spacious home. But Abraham was caught by the communists distributing Bibles to churches who had no Bibles. So they confiscated his farm and took his home. And at that point, Abraham and his wife lived on $5 a week with which they used to buy a little bread. When they reached the dwelling place of Abraham and his wife, he was surprised as Abraham's wife emerged out from the goat-skinned tent. He said the only similarity between Abraham and his wife was their sky-blue eyes. And he said as large of a man as Abraham was, his wife was just as little. But they both had innocent sky-blue eyes. And they invited Brother Andrew into their home. Brother Andrew went in, and when they served the meal, the meal was wild berries and honey. But do you know what Abraham said? Uh, Brother Andrew said of Abraham? He said, when I looked at his face and his wife, he said, in all of my travels all over the world, I've never seen faces of such contentment. That convicted me to my core. And I began to think of how many chairs I had bumped into and how hard it was to walk through that ship, what tight quarters it was and how constricted I felt and how uneasy I felt and how limited I felt. And I thought, do people look at my face and do they see a face of contentment? Even in the promised land, our lives are a series of hills and the valleys. Today, perhaps you're in a valley. Today, perhaps you've been in a valley, not for a few days or a few weeks or even a few months. Perhaps you're in a season of unanswered prayer. And it's not that your prayers are unanswered for just a short season. It's been a while now. And you're beginning to question, does God care? Does he, is he even paying attention? Is he even concerned? My friend, I want to remind you you're no longer in the land of Egypt. I want to remind you that you're in the promised land. I want to remind you that you're in a series of hills and valleys, but either way, you can drink the rains from heaven. Your soul can be nourished today unlike any other time in your life, even in the hard times, even in the difficult times, even in the limitations. You can know and you can feel and you can taste and you can be satisfied with the contentment of the Lord your God. Can you say amen to that? Amen, amen. And then notice what he says. I love this. The land 
It's a land that the Lord, your God, cares for. Oh, does God not care for every day of our lives? He's not a distant God. You know, in early America, it was deism that swept the early colonies and men like Benjamin Franklin and many of our, many of our founding fathers were actually deist, which meant that they believed that God created the universe but then was hands off. Basically, deism means that God is not involved in the daily affairs of humanity. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible means, the God, the God, the, the God that the Bible teaches is a God who walks with us, not just in various seasons, but every day of our lives. The God of the Bible is a God who knows the very number of hairs upon your head. And let me tell you, my friends, you and I don't even know ourselves better than that, do we? And God knows us better than we know ourselves. And he is divinely involved in the daily affairs of our life. This land the Lord your God cares for, the eyes of the Lord your God are upon it always. From the beginning of the year to the end of the year. Let me tell you a book I'm reading right now. It's a 365 daily devotional called Streams in the Desert. Maybe you've read that before. If you haven't, order it today. We're getting ready. Uh, <laughs> I got, I got, this is a joke, but I got to tell you this. One of my bucket list items was to have my books on Lifeway bookshelves. And that's happened because Lifeway's closing and we bought some of their bookshelves. So it's sort of, in a way, kind of, I'll, I'll check it off my bucket list. But <laughs> we're getting ready to put all these beautiful bookshelves in our lobby and we're going to have this great bookstore out here and we're going to carry some of these classics like Streams in the Desert and God's Smuggler. Well, we won't say it that way, but God's Smuggler and uh, it's going to be wonderful. But if you, don't, if you don't know Streams in the Desert, oh, please get that book. I believe if my memory is right, it was written in 1925 and it's been a classic ever since. From the beginning of the year to the end of the year, God's eyes are upon your life. Can we say amen to that? Now, jump down with me to verse 19. Now, Moses goes on to say a great deal. He talks about, then the next verse, he's going to say, if you will indeed obey the voice of the Lord, keep his commandments, keep his statutes, then these blessings are going to come into your life. But if you don't obey, then God will shut up the windows of heaven. There will not be rain on the earth. As a matter of fact, just a side note, in 1 Kings, when Elijah prayed that it would not rain, and the book of James chapter 5 tells us that for three and a half years it did not rain on the earth, you know what Elijah was doing? He was praying Deuteronomy 11. He was praying the word of God, that if Israel's heart ever turned away from God, then there would be no more rain on the earth. And God, he prayed Deuteronomy 11. And later on in Deuteronomy 11, he says, I, put, I present before you today blessing and cursing, and you choose. Blessing or cursing. So this is a wonderful chapter. It's worth you spending a great deal of time in. But right now, I want to just show you for a few moments what a godly Christian home should look like. And it's found in verse number 19. 
Now, remember, the theme of the chapter is Moses is talking about the laws of God, the rules, the statutes, the commandments, the expectations of the Lord our God. And so when he gets to chapter, to verse 19, he's going to say, you are to teach them to your children. You are to teach them to your children. Now let me speak for a few moments. Some of you have children that are grown and perhaps now you have grandchildren or some of you, you do not have children. But let me speak for just a moment to those particularly, particularly who are raising children in the home right now. This is the instruction that the Lord gives us. A Christian home ought to look similar to verse number 19. He says, basically what he's saying is our primary responsibility is to teach our children the laws and the expectations, the rules and the statutes of the Lord. Now, if some of you, your expectation is to bring your children to this church, and your expectation is for our Rock Alley staff, for 180 staff, for L3 staff, or even our nursery staff, even sowing seeds at that young of an age. If your expectation is that this church teaches your children the rules and the statutes of God, you are making a horrendous mistake. Because if you think that we can teach your children to love God in 90 minutes once a week, that is a foolish expectation. Your children are to learn about God in your home and primarily in your home. So my question today is when we look around at our lives and we consider the conversations that are going on in our households, how much of it involves the instructions of the Lord? He says, you're to teach these things to your children. My primary job as a parent, more than educating my child, more than providing for my child, my primary job is to train up my children in the way in which they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. Do you know what the Hebrew word picture is of train up a child and when they're old, they will not depart? Do you know what the word picture there is? It means to awaken a thirst for God within your children. And what is it about your home that awakens a thirsting for God in your children. For many of our homes, it's non-existent. Well, thankfully, the Bible is going to show us how. Watch what it says to do. You shall teach these things to your children when you are sitting at your house, when you're sitting in your home. Oh, I think about that even in my own home when we're just sitting around, when we're around the dinner table, when we're getting ready to go somewhere and Sadie keeps yelling, girls, have you got your shoes? Whew, I hear that 20 times a day. <laughs> and they still leave without shoes. It's awful. <laughs> and I think about it in nighttime when the house is getting quiet and we're tucking kids in. What are those conversations about? What are those conversations like? We are to teach our children around the home. This couple weeks ago, whatever it was, Piper, we gave uh, Piper and Emmy two of our old phones, you know, like ancient, and they, boy, they just think they're hot stuff. They just, the first evening of, of Piper having my old phone, she said, Dad, I'm really attached to this thing. <laughs> I can tell. 
And they don't have service. It's just, you know, whatever Wi-Fi is around our house. Now she knows the meaning of Wi-Fi, right? Dad, is there Wi-Fi? She's eight years old. Good gosh. She found a song on kids' YouTube. And I didn't like it. It was a secular song. And I didn't like it. Piper goes around the house and you know what she sings? She sings this stuff, the stuff we do up here. Her favorite song is Waymaker. Oh, you'd love to hear her sing it. She's listening to this song and I don't like it. It's got a bad spirit to it. I didn't like it. I don't even know what the words were, but I could tell by the spirit of the song, it wasn't good and it wasn't right. My very first reaction was to say, Piper, turn it off. But how many of you know when you do that, it just makes them want to listen all the more, right? But that was my first reaction, turn it off. But I, I restrained myself and I didn't. And I said, Piper, come here. I said, what are you listening to? She told me what it was. I said, what's that song about? I don't know. Hmm. I said, hey, Piper, I said, I want you to think about something. You know the songs that we love at church? She loves to hear Kayla and Kylie sing. She loves it. I said, you know those songs that they sing? That pleases the Lord, makes God happy. We call it glorifying God, and it makes God happy. It makes him smile. I said, that song you're listening to, that doesn't please the Lord. That doesn't make God happy. I don't like it, and I know the Lord doesn't like it. That's all I said. I haven't heard her listen to it, and I have not heard her mention it since then. We are to instruct. We are to teach. We are to take precious moments at home, not at church, at home, and instill these things in the hearts of our children. That is training up a child in the way they should go. Notice what he says next. And when you're walking by the way, how many opportunities do you have with your children when you drive? How many opportunities are there in the car? to talk about the things of God, the goodness of God, to talk about how good God's been. My heart was so pleased. Many of you know, a couple weeks ago, John Mark was hospitalized. And um, that morning, he was in there for a couple days. And that morning, they were telling us we may, may not go home. They didn't know. And Terry Whitson and... Glenn and Pastor Phil and Eric and all of them came and prayed over John Mark, probably about 11, 11.30. And I tell you, after they prayed, it was broken. We knew it. We knew it. We knew it in our spirit. This thing's done. It's gone. It's finished. It's broke. Sadie said all day, we're going home this evening. We're going home. I know it. The doctor came in, gave us the okay, told us everything going on. What a difference in him after prayer. They anointed his little head with oil and all day I'd smell his head. I'd say, John Mark, you smell like prayer. <laughs> and um, I got up to go to the restroom in our, bed, in our room and as I was shutting the door, it was just Piper in there with us and Piper was in the bed with John Mark and Sadie. And as I was shutting the door, I heard Sadie tell Piper, Piper, isn't the Lord so good to our family? 
You know what that is? That's Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 19. Do you talk about the Lord to your children? You say, Chad, what if they ask me a question I don't know? Then say, I don't know. But do you talk to your children about the Lord? Do you talk about the goodness of God? Do you talk about God's faithfulness? Do you talk about God's provision? Do you talk about how faithful God is and how good he is to your family? My friends, that is fulfilling Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 19. Talk about God in your home. Talk about him along the way. Make God a part of your everyday life. And what's the last phrase? You'll have to help me. Along the way, there's one other phrase. Anyone? Oh, yes, when you lie down and when you rise. Now, when I was trying to memorize this, I had it backward. I would say when you rise and when you lie down. But do you remember what we said last week in last week's sermon? The Jewish day was reversed. The day began with sunset, not sunrise. And do you remember why we said the day began with sunset and not sunrise? Actually, I think that was in week one. But do you remember why we said that? Was because God works while we rest. In our culture, we work and then we rest. In God's culture, you rest in order that you may work. Remember what we said? Good work is rooted in good rest. And what happens when the sun sets and God's day begins? What happens? God begins working on his new covenant and God begins working on his new creation. And you and I awake to a world in which we did not create. You and I awake to new mercies and new grace and new love and we work to an, we awake to a new creation and to a brand new covenant with the Almighty. Amen. And that's why this text says when you lie down and when you rise up. That's the, that's the true order of the day. Lastly, he says, he says when you, you are to write these things on your doorposts and on your gate. I didn't realize how biblical Sadie's little sign in the kitchen is that says, all I need is a little coffee and a whole lot of Jesus. I didn't, I didn't know that's actually a pretty biblical sign, I guess. <laughs> so go to Hobby Lobby and get some scripture signs, right? <laughs> but really, is scripture on the walls of your home? Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 20. Lastly, I close with this today. Go with me to 1 John chapter 9. Uh, I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. 1 John chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. I want to speak for just a moment in closing. The Lord gave me a very specific word today. I've tried to give some great spiritual application that anyone can walk away with. Try to give some thoughts that will help you grow and help you be nourished by the word of God. But for right now, I do want to speak to one specific group of people. And God has put you on my heart this day. I want to speak to the dads who have big regrets. I want to speak to the fathers who perhaps were not good fathers. But God is changing your life even right now to the present day. 
My father passed away a couple of years ago at the beginning of 2017. My dad was a great man. My dad taught me so much. I remember coming into my teenage years and I remember my dad telling me very clearly, he said, Chad, a true man will stand up for himself and stand up for what is right. If the whole world is against him, he'll stand. But a real man will also admit when he's wrong. I remember my dad telling me that. My dad had a horrendous back. He had deteriorating disc, deteriorating nerves, sciatic issues. But I tell you, in my eyes, he had a backbone of steel. But my dad didn't know the Lord until the last 15 years of his life. Beyond that, he was a sinner, a great sinner. But God redeemed him. Some of you who could share that same story. You didn't teach your children the ways of God because you didn't live the ways of God. You didn't invest in your kids. We all make mistakes, every one of us. Even last, uh, even Friday night, we got home from our long trip and we were so happy to see our children and they jumped all over me and jumped on my back and I played with them for a few minutes, but I'm listening to a book right now on Nazi Germany and I was so riveted by the book, I'd listened to it for five and a half hours that day and I found myself drawn to the book and I slipped into the living room and I was listening to the book and Sadie comes in and says, what are you doing? <laughs> Sorry. She said, go spend time with your kids. Boy, we're bad for that, aren't we? You know how kids spell love? T-I-M-E. And I got a long way to grow in that way. Maybe you didn't spend time with your kids and maybe you didn't teach them the things of God. Let me share with you today 1 John 3, 19 and 20. It says, by this, the truth shall reassure our hearts that even if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. So today, if on this Father's Day, you're feeling the weight of sin, you're feeling the weight of neglect, you're feeling the weight of mistakes, let me assure you, my friend, God's greater than the condemnation that's in your heart. Some of you don't have relationships with your children today because of mistakes you made as a young father. Let me tell you, God can restore it. He can restore. He can redeem. Now, it may not happen overnight, but it didn't get how it is overnight, did it? And so don't expect it to be fixed overnight. But if you'll take the long view and you'll begin to pray and say, God, redeem and restore my relationship with my children. I'm telling you, God will begin to work. He'll begin to work. And today on this Father's Day, don't let guilt overrun your heart. Don't let guilt condemn you. Because even when your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. And as if the scripture just could have ended there, it didn't. It has one more phrase. Oh, and he knows all things. He knows everything. 
God knows the sins. He knows the mistakes. He knows the failures. But yet God still redeemed you. And God can redeem your family. God can redeem your children. God can redeem your grandchildren. You're in a new land today, my friend. You're no longer in the land of Egypt. You're in Canaan land. And God will redeem. Let's stand today. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Oh God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your promises. They are yes and amen through Jesus Christ. Thank you. If you need to come to this altar today for any reason and lay your burdens down, slip out of your seat right now. Right now, come and pray. Right now, right now. Come and just lay the burden down. Just lay it down. Lay it down. Lay it at the altar and don't you dare take it home. Say, God, I cast it upon you. I leave it here with you. He cares for you. He cares for you today. Bring your anxieties. Bring your burdens. Bring your cares. Lay them down. Lay them down. Lay them down. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, you walk with us, God. You walk with us, Lord. You walk with us, Lord. You walk with us. Come on, why don't you just thank God for your families right now. Everyone all over the house, thank God for your families. Thank God for your children. Thank God for your marriage. Thank God for what he's restored. Thank God for what he's done. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the land of the living. Thank you that we're no longer enslaved in Egypt, but we're redeemed. We're redeemed by the blood of the lamb. The chains are gone. The bondages are broken in Jesus' name. We're in the land of hills and valleys. And the eyes of the Lord are upon our lives. From the beginning of the year to the end of the year, you walk with us, O oh God. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, O oh God. Thank you. Thank you. for you. We will commit ourselves as parents, as grandparents, as great-grandparents. We commit ourselves to teaching our children the ways of God. We will navigate them through fields of landmines, of sin that would seek to destroy their lives. And we will teach our children. We will awaken in them through the power and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, we will awaken a thirsting for God inside their little souls. And we pray for our children. We pray for our grandchildren that you will not allow the evil one to come near their lives. Put a protection about them, Holy Spirit. We pray for them in Jesus' name. We pray for them that the world would never come inside them. That the evil one would be kept at bay. Dispatch your angels around them. Protect them. Draw them. Woo them. Pursue them. Draw them at a young age and give them a lifelong tenderness toward the things of God. In Jesus' name.
Amen.